Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs, a journalist with ConnectingVets.com, the military news and veteran lifestyle website. Now I saw our next guest on the CMAs. The Country Music Awards a couple weeks back where he appeared alongside Bunker Labs, an organization that helps veterans realize their small business dreams. Cheesy as it sounds, the story of Arbo's cheese dip is a great veteran success story, and it's perfect for the holiday season full of food, friends, and family get-togethers. So here to talk to us about his business journey is the commander-in-cheese Army veteran Andrew Arbogast. Andrew, what's up, man? Hey, Phil. Good morning. The commander in cheese, man, that is, it's newer. I didn't come up with it, but it's too funny, man. I gotta, I gotta own it. So I love it. I definitely cannot resist a good pun. And uh, you've got one heck of a cool story. Before we get into the Apache helicopter part, um, how'd you get started with Arbo's cheese dip? So Arbo's cheese dip, literally three years ago, November, it was like the week of Thanksgiving, uh, that the concept came and it was just me sitting around a fire pit with some buddies and uh talking about how much we hated our corporate jobs and you know that whole military transition thing of wanting to find purpose and meaning in life i i just didn't have it even with this beautiful family and great job i wasn't happy and so one of them said dude you ought to make your dad's cheese dip recipe and sell it and um we laughed but then like it wouldn't go away that every morning i woke up i thought about it and so Brought it up to my wife, and I think she thought I was joking. I, I said it was a side hustle. And when I kept repeating, you know, what I was thinking about doing, she goes, you're not quitting your job, right? No, honey, of course not, um, <laughs> even though I was ready to go. But, uh, yeah, it just was a recipe that I'd already known was proven for 30 years. My dad made it, and I started making it in college, and I've always made it. So I just created a Bunker Labs account. I threw up this post on like a, a chat room, like, Hey, I'm thinking about, you know, making my dad's cheese dip recipe. Uh, does anyone have any, any advice? And people just piled on. And, and I mean, like it went from, okay, not only is this just a, uh, a recurring thought, it is 
something that people are actually doing in this community, in this veteran community where people have a good idea and you've got this group of veterans and military spouses that are like, no one's over there saying, Hey, no, you shouldn't do that. Everyone's like, yes, you should do it. And let me connect you with this person who's already done it. Or let me coach you on how to create a service disabled veteran owned small business so that you can get more doors open. That was three years ago. And, and here we are today in 20 states and 1600 stores. So cool. And as a business owner with the side hustle myself, um, this just lights my fire. I love hearing these stories. <clears throat> I can't have enough one because it sounds delicious. And two, uh, because of your background, I thought, you know, this is nothing to do with food service. This isn't a, like even your college didn't seem to have any relation to creating a packaged food business. Let's kind of dip into that, if we will. <laughs> See, Dude, the puns, you can never have too many in the cheese space. <laughs> but let's talk about your background. Yeah. Apache helicopter pilot. Tell me about that. Man, that I had, had no idea what I was getting myself into. That machine itself, you know, it's a $30 million helicopter. We, and we refer to it as the world's most advanced uh, attack helicopter. And it is insane from the cockpit to, you know, everything going on outside. You have a lot of multitasking, you know, even if you're in the back seat and you're trying to manage the front seater who could be a new pilot. So you're like, okay, don't crash, but also do these things while I'm back here inside the cockpit typing text messages or setting up weapon systems and communicating to the guy on the ground and then air traffic control. And then my wingman, it's like, there's a lot that could go wrong, but you eventually just figure out like, okay, it just takes time and experience and, you know, 10 years of doing that and several deployments overseas. Eventually it's like, okay, you get comfortable doing it. But I never thought or never saw aviation or flying outside of the military as a, as a desire. I was like, this was cool. It's fun while it happened. Uh, I'm ready to move on and do something else. And in 2017, that's when I made that transition from military to corporate America, which four years later, it was enough. <laughs> no doubt. I, and, and I think I know every veteran out there has felt similar at times, whether it's a corporate job or it's just, you know, a job. Yeah. Before we jump into the transition, yeah. Apaches are the gunships that have that sleek, narrow body surrounded by guns and missiles and just like, you know, death robot from the sky looking thing. Did you guys go on casualty evac nine line calls or were you strictly fire support? Man, we did everything. Um, and it, when when I think of the Apache, one of the best ways to describe it is like having a giant machine gun tank strapped to your back right so you're strapped into this you know this this helicopter that like you said it has wings that contain these uh missile racks or, or rocket pods you can set up the the weapons configuration based on however you what the environment is right and then you got this 30 millimeter chain gun at the bottom and that thing can shoot these like they're, they're 30 millimeter rounds. Actually, I've got one right here. So you can imagine the size of this thing when it hits the ground. Like this is a little warhead. Uh, it's designed to just explode basically like a little mini miniature grenade that sends shrapnel. And imagine like this in a machine gun rapid fire, right? So the technology and everything, the rockets, the missiles are all just, you know, the, the missiles are precision where it's like 
laser to destination of that missile it's going to hit. And um, it almost feels like you're cheating in a way, right? It's like we have this this technology and we're fighting, you know, this was back in what we call counterintelligence uh, coin, but, you know, war on terror. And it's like, we're, we're you know, we're engaging guys on the ground that are carrying AK-47s and RPGs, which, you know, doesn't really hold a flame to, to what the Apache can do. So, but it was necessary because even though we were that equipped and we were that advanced, the guys on the ground were they're the ones in the in the gunfights, right? So we were responding to what we call ticks, uh, troops in contact, and QRF, quick reaction force. If there is a nine line or anything like that, every you, there was always a need for Apaches to be overhead. There was a desire, a want from the ground guy. The problem is, is we just we only have so many pilots, we only have so many Apaches, we can't be everywhere at once. But it was just like, hey, you're this is your mission. You're going to do convoy security today, and you're going to cover this this route from A to B. But if there's nothing going on and we get a call from troops in contact, we're leaving. And that's the most important thing to us. So where did you deploy? Were you were you Afghanistan? Were you Iraq? Uh first first tour was Iraq and that was in the drawdown like two thousand and ten, where it was that transition from what we called Operation Iraqi Freedom to Operation New Dawn, right? So that was the new campaign. It was supposed to imply that this is the peacekeeping mission or operation. I mean, the day that that changed in theater, like <laughs> still the same thing. Right. But I get it. It's the the bigger picture, bigger strategy. Um, but it was, it was, it was pretty calm in Iraq. Uh, 2014, I went to Afghanistan uh, in RC East, which is one of the, um, you know, more dangerous places. We were at this um, Ford operating base called uh, Fob Shank. And Fob Shank was notorious for uh, rocket attacks. And so it was, you know, named, nicknamed Rocket City. And the, the problem with these, these in Afghanistan, it's like you, your base is, is at the bottom of a bowl and the enemy has the, the higher terrain advantage. And so we're just sitting ducks. And what, what I mean by that is like a guy is out there setting up two by fours as his rocket launching pad. And setting a block of ice at the bottom of the rocket. And when that ice melts, it's going to hit the trigger and launch. But that was an hour ago that that was set. And that guy's long gone. We know where the poo is, the point of origin. We'll go out there, but it's, there's no one there. So that was the, the most frustrating thing is not being able to really counterattack against those rocket attacks. But there were plenty of other things going on in, in that, that space that kept us busy. So we were there for nine months, and, man, it was just constant. I've heard from other pilots that the infantry guys sometimes would cue up the radio and let the pilots hear the effect of the impact, or you could hear the Marines or the soldiers on the ground, like, cheering as you guys came by and laid down some fire. Did you ever have any, like, memories like that? Oh, yeah. Um, so, So this was one that really... It's funny now, but at the time you're like, come on. Uh, but I'm in a, we're in a flight and I was, I was gun two, which is like, if you have a gun, gun one is lead, gun two is trail. And, uh, we were, we were just flying from A to B. We had finished our mission and it's like, okay, we had a 30 minute flight. We, we were in very high terrain, um, uh, flying over mountains, just us being a thousand feet off the ground. We were actually like, 12,000 feet, the helicopter doesn't perform as well the higher up you get, right? 
And so, um, I had this emergency in, in, in the cockpit where, uh, we got something called a, a bucks failure. It's like backup control system. Basically it's your, your, your flight controls, right? So if you have a bucks failure, the emergency procedure is land as soon as possible, right? And then go through the shutdown procedures. Well, in Afghanistan, in a war environment, combat environment, there's no such thing as land as soon as possible. Cause I mean, it's like, what's worse? That EP, that emergency procedure or landing in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by the enemy, not knowing when they're going to come to pick you up. Right. So our gun one was telling the story on the, on one of the battles. I think it was, I want to say it was like Operation Red Wing. So he was there for that. Now, for context, Operation Red Wings was one of the deadliest missions in the history of U.S. special operations. It was intended to take out local Taliban militias, but it resulted in helicopters being shot down, 19 killed, and part of the story is documented in the movie Lone Survivor about Marcus Luttrell and his SEAL Team brothers. The region they were flying over was where these battles took place. But he's like, yeah, if you look over there, you can still see we have one of the Chinook blades that, uh, from the helicopter. But he, he, he was just hot miking the whole time. He just had it held down and was going on the story. It was a great story, but I had this emergency procedure. And so I ended up getting on, um, like our unsecure radio, like our VHF, which anyone can actually tap into, but. I knew that we have to monitor that radio. So he's talking to us on our internal comms. I'm getting on like the public uh, radio and I'm like, Rob, shut the up, up, like Rob, you know, like just screaming at him as we're trying to figure out what's going on with the aircraft. And I mean, he either just had it turned down or he was so into this story himself. But I mean, this went on for like 20 minutes and we could have been dead by this point. And <laughs> Rob <laughs> But I, I just remember we, we, he, he finally was like, my bad, you know, and, um, we came in and like I had to do this roll on landing and, um, this, this helicopter's really shaky right now. And I remember like shut the engines down, fire trucks came out and all this stuff. But that, that's the one that like I, I was freaking out, man. I remember my, my hands were just bone white gripping these controllers and I'm like, this is it. Like we're, 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 you know, we're not going to make it back. And, uh, like I said, it's funny now, but damn Rob. <laughs> That's great. And you know, in the Navy, I'm sure the aviators would have immediately given him a call sign based on that. Like, oh, all right. Yes. All right. It's call sign chatterbox. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That man, that's, that's how this stuff happens. Roger yeah. that chatty Kathy. Okay. We got it. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Um, Last flashback to those days of just, yeah, yeah. Um, could you see the ridge line like in front of you when you guys were lighting it up with the guns or with the missiles? Like, could you see the actual difference you were making? Yeah. The, the difference is between it's like day versus night, right? And if we're flying at night, everything we're, we're viewing is not outside of the cockpit. It's pitch black. You can't see tops of ridge lines. We don't, you know, there's no street lights or anything. It's just like, okay, we know there's a mountain there and our altitude will clear us, but we are solely focused on the, um, the sensor footage. So we have this thing in the front. You can zoom in 10 kilometers 
and view like, okay, hot spots. And then as you get closer, you can really make out all right, weapons and, you know, does this appear to be a bad situation or is this just a guy toting an AK because he's it's for self-defense? You don't know. And the rules of engagement are you can't engage someone just for carrying an AK-47 or even an RPG. I mean, who's hunting with an RPG, right? Like, no, uh, he, he obviously is not up to any good, but at night, the footage, it's heat. And so what we're looking at is like cold mountains, but then the heat coming from your body temperature or weapons or anything like that. So at night, you actually have the best view of the battle damage where it's like you see this missile uh, come off the rail and you'll, you'll, you'll see the exhaust. And then um, the guy's just sitting there and before you know it, missiles on top of them and there's just this huge explosion and you have to wait for the dust to settle before you can see like, okay, was that a good shot or did we, you know, land right next to him? You know, these hundred thousand dollar missiles, they're designed to be tank killers. But if you, if you land this missile next to someone out in the open, they might be jumping up and running off. And so that's where it's like, we, it's so important that we re-engage, but, you know, making sure that are they, are they playing uh possum, you know, cause they, they're smart. They, they know. One of the scariest things, if I can real quick was, um, there is a mission where it's like vehicle interdiction, two dudes on a motorcycle, like on a, on a scooter. And I mean, it was like the wild West. One of them is, is, is got like a heavy machine gun. He's on the back and he's like shooting it. And, and the other guy's driving off or it's like, you know, don't bring a, a knife to a gunfight sort of thing uh, with, with the Apaches. But after all the engagements and everything, special forces guys, they, they wanted to go and see what sort of Intel that um, those guys were carrying because this was like a high value target, right? A killer capture type mission. And when they got all the Intel radios and stuff like that off of the, the bad guys, there was a book and it was like their battle SOP essentially. And you flip through it and there there's all these different things about us forces to that they intend to target and everything else. But then there's, there's four drawings of helicopters. They have the Apache drawn, they have the Black Hawk and the Chinook, and they had these X's over the tail rotor, the main rotor, and then there were two X's over the cockpits, which means like shoot the pilots. I remember seeing that and being like, dang, you know, the, these guys are not as dumb as we think they are, right? It's one of those like, don't underestimate the enemy. The minute you do, you lose, you know. But then, like, daytime, the coolest part of the Apache is monocle, what we call the HDU, the heads-up display unit, over your right eye. So it's like if you're flying during the day and you see, you know, someone pop off a, an RPG, all you have to do is select the gun, look at the guy, put those crosshairs on him, fire off 10 rounds. It's really accurate, too. That is so cool. So you had, like, Terminator vision. And there's some videos out there too where it's like you'll see the the pilot on the ground going through like a weapons check or whatever and and then he looks over at you and that gun just Wah! and it's all it all calculates. Like the, the helicopter knows to tell that gun, aim this way or this far off the target, it's like it'll hit where it's supposed to hit. Sir, <laughs> could you please quit looking at me with your monocle on? I need you to take your headgear off, sir. I'm telling you. Scaring me, man. Oh man.
one more experience I want to talk about while you were some downtime on the FOB there, the forward operating base, you'd get care packages. Talk to me about sitting around the FOB with some exquisite appetizers. Oh my gosh, man. I'm telling you, food has always been a source of happiness for me. And before I deployed, there there used to be this store that you could go and buy a bunch of little mini cheeses and like German candies and chocolates and stuff like that. So before I deployed, I went to one of these stores and I bought like a thousand dollars worth of crap. Good, good stuff, you know, meats, cheeses and spreads and stuff like that. And I prepackaged these items and put them in my closet. And then, you know, I didn't tell my wife, but like the first month I was like, Hey, there's a package in there that's marked this. Can you go ahead and, and put that in the mail for me? <laughs> so I basically just had like a, a a rotation of these items because I'm like, that's, you know, at the end of the day, you're miserable, man. And at my job at, as a commander at the time, it's like I'm the one that's supposed to be the the morale booster and, hey, the positive attitude, everything's fine. But, you know, inside you're like, this sucks, dude. But it's either this or prison. <laughs> like, I can't leave. But, and so that was just my way of like, all right, go back to the room. I've got this little piece of happiness that I can, I can dive into, but I never kept it all. I like, I love sharing it. I love like bringing this stuff in and, and seeing people's, you know, lives just kind of light up for a brief moment in time. And it made a big difference. Um, and it also inspired other people to do the same thing. So it's like, eventually, man, we've got like 30 different, you know, new sauces and condiments we've never had that are in our little pilot room. And, and it's a way for us to like, just make the crap that we were fed. <laughs> it tastes a little bit better. Well, I can only imagine like an MRE pairing nicely with a Gouda and like a fine wheat cracker. Like that's yes. cool. And you know, as a former enlisted guy myself, I can tell you E4 Mafia I would have had, I would have had Captain Arbogast dialed in and I would know that, you know, if I needed to get some favor with somebody else or get somebody even needed to get myself out of a jam, I'd be like, yo, Cap, I need some Gouda, dude. It went so far, you know, and and on our fob, we had a a few little, I call them like eateries or little local restaurants. And if there was something that was very stressful happening and it just, there was no way to deliver the good news. It's like, all right, well, I'm at least going to go get a dozen pizzas and bring them in, and then I'll give them the bad news. <laughs> you know? They've said for a long time, the way to anybody's heart is through their stomach. So uh definitely proof positive that the, that's what's been going on here. Now let's kind of fast forward here. You get out. You were working at a corporate company, it looked like a paper company or something. And you know, good job using your logistical officer skills, using your management skills there. But as we've all experienced, some of these jobs, they just don't satisfy. They're just not a thrill. They're not scratching the itch that we need and really using all of our skills and talents. And you're sitting around with your buds. How did it go from just like brainstorm? Like, hey, man, we love your cheese dip, Arbo. Why don't we sell your dad's cheese dip? How did it go from just the campfire to actual production? Yeah, um, there there is no science to it, right? Other than I knew the recipe by heart. And when I kept thinking about it every day when I woke up, 
I'm like, okay, let me do another experiment. Let me just test the market. And we had two local cheese dips here in town that were good enough, but they had a, a strong following. I don't know what it is about Memphis and cheese dip, but it's like everyone was like, oh, ponchos. Ponchos is the best. They've been around, you know, since the 50s and all this other stuff. So I'm like, people have told us that this was better than ponchos uh, for a long time. And so I'm like, all right, well, I'm at least going to put some data to paper. And the first test I did was cleaning ladies. And I did a blind taste test with all three of them. And they were they like the reactions on their faces. I remember it wasn't, oh, this is good. They're like, this one, this one pointing to my dad's. Right. And then I did it with, you know, the, the FedEx guy. And then I shifted to an entrepreneur, very dear friend of mine. His name's Ralph and Ralph had like 30 kids. Sounds like, all right, we got a, we got a big audience. Um, I, I sent all three dips up and every single one of them picked my dad's. And so Ralph was like, if you don't do this, you're dumb. <laughs> I was like, thank you for being so blunt with your feedback. Um, I don't know how, I was like, I don't know how to do it, Ralph. He goes, listen, if the product's good, it will sell. That's what Mark Cuban told me. I'm like, okay, what do I need to do? He goes, you'll figure it out. But if you don't do this, like you were, you're losing out on a, a big opportunity. Oh, also, by the way, you're too old to, to start a business. And then he said, 90% of startups fail within the first, after the first two years. And I was like, why? Why do you do this? I mean, why would you tell me that? But because he said that, I was out to prove a point. I was out to prove something to myself, prove to others, or maybe not just me, but all of us. We're working these corporate jobs. We have the golden handcuffs. This is what you do and do that for the rest of your life and provide for your family. There's nothing wrong with that, but it wasn't for me. And, and I was like, I'm done pretending that what I'm doing right now is the example that I want to set for my kids. How can I sit there and say, Hey, you can go be whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. If I wasn't willing to do it myself. And so there's so many things, you know, when I, when I first was asked about this and I started the brand and it kind of became public, it was like, why'd you do it? And I was like, oh, I love food. I love cheese. And, you know, no, that, I mean, that's that was the vessel. But it's it has become something so much more important to me. And if you don't go after everything within your reach or even if you don't think it's within your reach, that's where you're that's your limit. You know, I have to visualize this as being. I wanted it to be a national brand and damn it. If we're not on track, right after three years, we've already reached 20 States and 1600 stores. And I, I had this partnership with the California milk advisory board and, and, and said, Hey, we'd like for you to come out and be in this, this accelerator program to grow with us, the real California milk. And I'm like me, this guy from Tennessee. And I go out there and it's, it's seven other brands that got selected and they're all based in California. So it's things like that that over the last three years have just reinforced that what I'm doing is is the right thing to do. It has legs, and I don't know where this ends. I don't have a finish line goal because I said now I want it to be national, but what does that mean after that? Is it international next? And I think that's one of the things with like entrepreneurs that we struggle with is 
not knowing when enough is enough, but that's the beauty of it is like there, there's, there's no finish line for me. I'm just going to keep going. Oh, that's awesome, man. Can I ask, like, how did it go from you make this dip in your house, you serve Mm -hmm. it to friends watching football to now trying to manufacturing it? What was that first step look like? Did you have to go rent a commercial kitchen space and then you're just making your own packages, sticking the labels on yourself? Or like, what was that first variation? Made it in my kitchen and, you know, went from like a a little two quart pot to a 10 quart pot to a 20 quart pot. Eventually it was like my wife's like quit making cheese dip in our house. Like it smells like a Mexican restaurant 24 hours a day. Like I can't sleep. Uh, you know, like, uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. So my buddy let me use his restaurant kitchen. He had a breakfast restaurant. And so it closed at two o'clock. So I'd go down there at night and I would make this cheese dip. I'd be up until one in the morning, get up and go to, you know, get the kids to school, go to work the next day. And I did this and I remember sweating. I knocked over like a 40 quart tub of cheese dip. And I'm like, this sucks. I remember that moment of I've got this six figure job. I could just quit right now and I'll still be way ahead. And I was like, like, this is it, man. This is what it's all about. So eventually, yeah, I had my parents like labeling containers and we were pouring it, you know, using these like six gallon honey pots, um, that have this little valve at the end. And, and then the USDA calls one day, they're like, where are you making your cheese dip? We had, I just found a manufacturer, just found a co-packer in Tupelo, Mississippi. And I was like, Tupelo. You know, <laughs> and he's like, all right, good. Now I won't have to go, you know, clean all the, uh, the tubs off the grocery store shelves. And I was like, oh my gosh. So that was a whole thing. That's such an awesome story. And that's exactly the kind of granular detail I was looking for because everybody's idea starts with this dream. And as we'd said at the start of the interview, if you knew the hurdles, you'd have never done it because you know, you're going to face these obstacles between co-packers or can you acquire the capital to get to all the packages you need? So you're not, you know, licking and sticking in some rented kitchen. It is arduous, but it's that I want something for my life. I want this dream. I want this to be mine. Take the corporate job. No, that contradicts the fire that's in here and you cannot put that out. I love it. Bunker Labs helped you scale. Talk to me about being in that, what was it, veteran cohort? Um, yeah, veterans and residents cohort. And it, it goes back to that first little plug that uh, I, that post I made about, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Does anyone have any advice? And the Bunker Labs part, I applied to be veterans and res- uh, to join their veterans and residents out of the Nashville chapter. And me being in Memphis, I did it virtually. We grouped together every week and we talked about what are our challenges? What are our wins? And everyone just piles on. They're just like, Hey, for bookkeeping, um, I've got this person. They're the best rate I've ever had. And, uh, they actually know how to do like retail bookkeeping and they're a good fit for you. Reach out to them. And that's how all this stuff happens. And it's just like, it's constant support. Even to this day, I still am connected with those, those guys and gals that were in that group. Some of them have made it on Shark Tank. It's just a testament of like what they can do to help the veteran entrepreneur. Now we've been hearing a true veteran entrepreneur success story. It's how Andrew Arbergast went from Apache helicopter pilot to founding Arbo's Cheese Dip. 
a delicious appetizer spread that has grown from a home-based business to being sold in 20 states and over a thousand grocery stores. Andrew attributes much of his success as an entrepreneur to the help he received from Bunker Labs, the veteran business support organization where aspiring vets can meet, receive training, collaboration, and access to other vets, and even venture capitalists who will help them turn their dreams of business ownership into reality. Andrew and the story of Arbo's Cheese Dip recently took a national stage when he was part of the Country Music Academy's annual awards show. The country star Jordan Davis gave an award to Marine Corps veteran and Bunker Labs CEO Blake Hogan. And as we'll hear, the video tribute included Andrew Arbogast and fellow veteran D. Sean, CEO of Southern Elegance Candle Company. My personal passion for our military led me to join some veterans as we participated in the Crown Royal Purple Bag Project, where I met Blake Hogan, CEO of Bunker Labs, a nonprofit organization supporting veterans and veteran-owned businesses. Blake, great to hang with you, man. Thank you for your service. Love to hear a little bit more about how you came involved with Bunker Labs. I served, and when I took that uniform off, this was my way to continue to serve. And Bunker was my way to help veterans and military spouses start and grow their businesses. I served in the Army for 10 years as an Apache helicopter pilot. Bunker Labs was the resource that I never thought I needed. I felt like I was continuing my service. When you're starting a business, you need two things. You need access and you need connections. So that's what we do. And we've been doing that for the last 10 years and we're just getting started. Bunker Labs has given me the foundation to really build the company of my dreams. Bottom line, if you serve this country and you raise your right hand, you ought to have a fighting chance at living the American dream. They have just been just very instrumental in every single stage of my business providing support. When I met Blake, I immediately could see that he believed in me and brought me back to life and gave me an opportunity to go fulfill this dream that I never thought would be possible. For me, it's deeply personal. I, I served. This is my way to continue to serve. Blake, this country is truly greater because of people like you are in it. Thank you for everything you're doing and thank you for being a part of Bunker Labs. Thank you and Semper Fi. And that's audio from this year's CMA Awards, which aired on ABC. You were at the CMAs. I saw him pan through the crowd. Who'd you meet there just out of curiosity? Who'd you see? Just sit next to anybody cool? Or did you get to, you know, shake hands with some of country's greatest? Man, we were third row, like center court, if you can imagine that. And so, like, you could reach out and, like, grab Luke Bryan, uh, you know, as he was coming up for his next speaking bit. But, like, I could just throw a rock at Alan Jackson or Kenny Chesney and all these people. And it was just like a concert of all your favorite artists performing. Right. And, um, it was, it went by so fast. Like, I don't know if I blacked out or what, but I, I've been fortunate to meet a, a lot of celebrities just through this veteran business entrepreneur journey. I've met Jelly Roll several times. He loves the cheese dip and, um, and Jelly Roll speech about being, you know, something about a 39 year old winning, you know, performer of the year, whatever the award was like, there's something incredible about that. And my wife looked over, I'm 39. She's like, gave me that look. And I was like, damn, you know, we did it. And, and, And we're not done. We're not even close to being done. And to know that Jelly Roll's a fan of your cheese dip. I mean, oh, that's yeah. an endorser right there. Being able to watch Alan Jackson and Kenny Chesney do the Jimmy Buffett tribute. Oh, I mean, I was, I was on the edge of my seat watching that. That was so, so rad. Zach Brown band too. Big, oh, big Zach. fan of them. Yes. Um, 
Well, I guess all that's left to say now is just talk to me about the cheese dip itself, man. We're coming on the holidays. What do I want to eat? Kind of share with me, you know, what my taste buds are in store for when I get some Arbo's cheese dip. So the, the, the original recipe is like your ye- yellow style, um, blend of American cheeses, Colby's cheddars, Jack, stuff like that. But it has this consistency where it's so smooth. You can eat it cold and it's not going to break your chip, right? But you can warm it up, but it's got this blend of like bold seasonings and spices. And we incorporate tomatoes and chilies that are blend, like basically pureed to give it this smooth consistency. And, um, I mean, growing up, we just take it out of the fridge, open a bag of chips and start eating it cold. Right. So that's how I've always eaten it, but some people would rather have queso warm and I get it. So you can, you can nuke it and it's not going to turn into water. Um, and it's just going to be so flavorful as a topping on, I mean, it's how I get my kids to eat vegetables and all this other stuff. The best thing is like chips, pretzels, pork rinds, anything you want to dip in there. It goes perfect. It's got this little kick to it. And some people were like, Hey, you could make it spicier. So I added some heat to it and made a spicier version. And then the more common thing was like, do you have a, a white cheese dip too? And I'm like, no, but I guess I got to figure that out. So, you know, I just spent nine months in the kitchen and eventually I found this perfect way to make it to where the shelf life is greater than, you know, 10 days. It's 120 days shelf life and we incorporate jalapenos, but they're mild. So you've got jalapeno flavor in this one with garlic, onion, and things like that. So it's just like, it's your Mexican restaurant style queso blanco. When you take it home and put it in the fridge and go to reheat, you know, and take it back out, it's not a, a, a glob of glue. It's like you can eat it cold just as you can the original as well. So people ask what my favorite is. I'll always say the original, but man, I'm proud of that white <laughs> queso that blanco. Is- Oh man, that is awesome. Talk about football food. Loving it. And you say you can use like the tortilla chip will be able to pull it out of the container as a soft dip. That's it. I mean, even, even like the thin tortilla chips will work, but like I love a a thick tortilla chip and you can just dip it all day and you're not going to get, you know, broken chips, crumbs or anything like that. And it, it just stays smooth. Arbo's cheese dip. You got the original dad's version. You got queso blanco, and then you got the zesty, spicy. If you like yep. the caliente, you can step it up a notch. Arbo's cheese dip available all over, I'm assuming the South. Uh, you said Kroger's grocery store is carrying this now. Yep. We, we are at Kroger, uh, Publix going into Harris Teeter on the East coast, all the way up to, to Delaware where, you know, I don't even know where that is on the map. Well, you we are, are from Tennessee. I know. I know, right? Yeah. I don't get out much, but, um, we add Walmart in February and that's going to be huge for us. And then um, we also have e-commerce on arbosdip.com. Awesome, man. Arbosdip.com from Apache helicopter flights over Ridge lines to uh, make it a true veteran success story. Absolutely love everything about this story, Andrew. I can't thank you enough, man. And um, I definitely know what I'm going to be looking for. I got Harris Teeters in my neighborhood. Just so stoked, man. Oh, and again, hit me with the website one more time. Arbosdip.com. A-R-B-O-S dip.com. Awesome, man. Thank you so much.
Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on Wondery Plus.